Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today's guest was the first woman of colour in the world to be cast as the principal alphabet in Wicked. She made her West End debut in The Lion King at the age of 17, originated the role of Nabalungi in the West End production of The Book of Mormon, and has played Eponine in Les Miserables. Prior to lockdown, she could be seen as Miriam in The Prince of Egypt at the Dominion Theatre in London, a part she'll return to when the show reopens. We spoke before the announcement of the government's arts rescue package, and I'm very grateful for how openly she talked about all of her experiences. Here's my conversation with Alexia Kadim. I love your jumper. Oh, thank you. You can never tell what the weather is anymore, do you know what I mean? I can you believe it's the 3rd of July and here we are in a cable net? I know, I know. But the thing is, it's like one minute it's like piping hot, then the next it's like, oh, it's a bit breezy. But yeah. best to just wear a jumper and walk out and then you don't have to wear a coat. Absolutely. That's how I see it. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? I'm okay, yeah. Um, it's really very up and down um, lockdown, isn't it? Like one minute you're like, okay, yeah. I'm good. I can, you know, I can get through them. And there are just some days where it's just like, no, I just, but actually I want to stay in bed. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> and I just want, I need a minute. I need a beat. And then I think on top of with it being in lockdown with the Black Lives Matter movement really coming to um, a head, not that this is um, anything new that we're necessarily experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's just a lot more things are being brought to light and it's, cause because there's so much conversation in regards to it. and I think conversation is great because that's how we grow and we learn what it has also done is it, it brings a lot to the surface for me that you learn to bury and not have to necessarily confront but it's really causing you to confront some things that you've put to the side so to speak there's so much I want to ask you about. First of all, you were in the Prince of Egypt when we went into lockdown. Yeah. Can you tell me about the day that it all came to a halt when the West End shut down? Where were you when it all happened? Right. We were due to have a show on the Monday. Um, I think it was Monday the 16th, if I'm correct, of March. <laughs> she knows the date so well. <laughs> <laughs> and we were starting to feel like is going to happen soon. And I kind of felt like it was going to happen that week. I just wasn't sure at what point because I knew we were going to be following Broadway with the way that things were moving. Um, and we we do like a little exercise thing, a few of us. Um, so we're doing sanity and we worked out before we have our vocal warm-up. And then we went on stage and we had our vocal warm-up. Um, and then... Even the the lit the um, covering for the day show was read out, and then the producers came on and told us we're not going ahead. The West End is basically closed, and you know we're hoping that we will be able to come back. But you know this is obviously a shock, and nobody knows what's going to happen moving forward. But we can't, you know, like based upon what. Um, Boris had said he didn't directly say that theatres are closed but he did tell people 
not to, at that point, not to, um, well, to avoid going to theatres, pubs, clubs, that sort of thing. So it just didn't make any sense if, you, if you're telling the public to not go to these places, then business is not normal anymore. We can't operate without an audience. So, yeah, it was, it was really tough. It was emotional um, because we just opened. We had our press night on the 25th of February. Then literally, what, a couple of weeks later, lights out. What did you all do then? Because that was before they enforced all this. That was about a week before they were like social distancing, keep two meters away, if I remember that correctly. So Yeah, that was, was way before that. So mm. you were all still allowed to hug, but you couldn't yeah. do your show. So how, we couldn't do how, our show. how did you all say goodbye? A lot of us were like, oh, do we take things from the dressing room? Do we not? You know, because, you know, are we going to be coming back? No one knew. Everything was so very up in the air. But I was like, I'm leaving my stuff. <laughs> They're staying in my dressing room. <laughs> And you know what, guys, we have to be, we have to take the caution in this, that this is a beast that the world has never seen before. Um, We can't even say that our parents have been through it, our grandparents, our great-grandparents. This is something that is killing people, you know. And what's going to come first is safety. So we got to comply and it's painful because it's our jobs and we can't not do our work without an audience and be, we're not somebody who can work from home. But my mum already started working from home um, before we were either in trolls that, you know, like lights out for theatre. Um, but yeah, it was emotional, lots of hugs and stuff and went home and, you know, like we connected with each other via WhatsApp and you know, like making sure everyone's all right and stuff. But that's what our connection has been in terms of with the company. It's just like we contact each other through WhatsApp. I work out with um, a few of the cast people every morning. So we're still kind of connected in some kind of way, but it's just virtually. Obviously, when you commuted into town for the, for your workout and before your show that night, your head would have been thinking some very different things. What was going through your mind on your way home? Do you remember that journey? Yeah, I do remember that journey. I think I knew it was coming because if uh, with what was happening and if you were watching the news and the way things were moving and at that point, Italy was in lockdown, but it was like, it's going to happen. It, it, it's just a matter of time. I thought that it probably would have happened sooner, possibly. But with the way that things always, when you're watching the news and everything kind of catching up, you knew that it just... It was a matter of time. And even at that point, we weren't in lockdown. It was, okay, what do, what do I do now kind of thing, like moving forward to be safe? And for me, it was like, my family, are you safe? <laughs> you know, my friends, are you safe? That kind of thing. And it was bizarre, but you knew it was going to happen. It was like it, shocking, but not shocking because you knew it was coming. We just didn't know how long it would be. And we still don't know how long it's going to be because we're going to be the last sector to go back. And some of us are really struggling. Like, I don't think many people really understand that it's not just a matter of us putting on a show. It's our livelihoods. It's people who work backstage. It's hair, makeup, dresses, sound, automation. It's maintenance. It's, it's, it's everyone who's in that building, front of house, front of house managers, that's who it's affecting. It's affecting so many people. So it's beyond just 
when we talk about like us coming back and trying to come back so you can hear like sirens (laughs) (laughs) and people coming back it's beyond being able to create the distance um with an audience it's also it's impossible to create distance on stage and backstage we're talking about quick changes that sometimes 10 seconds dresses help us attain that so that we can get on stage it's like it's impossible to do it that way. Do you know what I mean? Especially the way the ensemble in your show moves as one. Yeah. And there's a lot of people within our company and there's many moving parts. And that's just our show. There are other shows that are like that too. Some shows can socially distance because they don't have that, you know, thing. And so it is more so then about how they operate for the audience. But majority of the shows that's in the West End there are so many moving parts and so much happens backstage and backstage doesn't look like a barn back, you know, back there, everything is very tight. So it's, it's just impossible to create social distance and go back to work. You said that you were waiting for it to happen in the week running up to, to the last shows. Did you notice a difference when you looked out at the Dominion? How many people were there? Were people wearing masks? Was there a visible difference? There were definitely people um, wearing masks and things like that. And I don't know if there was necessarily... I don't think I necessarily saw, like, fear or anything like that because we were always behind Italy. And we weren't at that point, neither, where we thought, lockdown was maybe gonna I don't know if that was necessarily a reality completely in everyone's mind because I don't think you'd really necessarily believe something is really going to happen until it actually happens and then when it happens it's like whoa this is this is really unusual I mean like it's insane right like yeah impossible to process the enormity of it before it it really really is like you think about when you're walking down the road just now like you're, you're walking and you see someone coming towards you and you're playing dodge, <laughs> you know, like to create that distance between you and another person for the safety of yourself and that person. It's still, I think it's still very surreal, uncertain times. And, it, you know, our numbers have fallen some, somewhat. I think the last thing that I read was below like um, the average when, you know, pre-corona but still, it's still very uncertain times because somewhere like Leicester has to go into lockdown, you know. Um, so it's not gone. It's still very much there. So you're still going with caution. And as much as some things have, some businesses have been able to reopen and stuff, it's still very, it's still not normal. You're still doing your two meters distant, um, you know, queuing system. Only so many people are allowed in the shop. So we're still in very uncertain times. And you have to just take every day as it comes because every day is just going to be different. You know, like where we are now versus where we were three months ago is is very different. And nobody kind of knows what's going to happen. We're hoping it gets better, but we don't know. <laughs> you said that you didn't feel like there was a fear in those last few performances. No. But did you notice an increase in, in audience gratitude that you were still going on? people love the show it's a release do you know what I mean like it's a way to escape isn't it when you go to the theatre so the entertainment I think it just takes you away so maybe that's why we wouldn't feel that element of fear or anything like that because it's a moment where people can leave work stress uh, whatever's going on in life or maybe life is great I mean I don't know and it's just another layer that is you know um 
being able to have something happy in a moment and a memory to live and to just kind of indulge for a moment, you know. Um, so that's more so that you will always feel when you go to theatre and that's what makes it so special because it's it's being in that moment there and then and no one performance is like the other. You will always feel that in theatre anyway. The audience is there holding on to your every word, whether it's sung, whether it's spoken, you know, they're with you. They're, they're in the story with you. Have you allowed yourself to think about how it will feel to be back on that stage? We know your show is coming back and that they've extended the booking period because I think, wasn't it originally booking till October this year? Yeah, this year, yeah. There was year, a chance yeah. that we didn't know was going to happen, but we know yeah. Prince of Egypt is coming back. Have you allowed yourself to process or think about or visualise how it's going to feel to be back on stage and how how it will feel? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have had a chance to go back on a stage in the past like week and it does it's 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 part of your makeup and the fiber of who you are and you feel alive again if that's stripped from you you do feel slightly like a part of you is missing <laughs> so to speak um so being back on the stage being able to do what you love and enjoy and i feel blessed to be able to say that my job is something that I enjoy and I love doing I feel like it's going to feel even more special because it's the simple things isn't it maybe we've taken for granted in life it's definitely a, a time of reflection of you know like we take for granted that yes we've got you know like you, you love it when you get the job right but then when you've got the job you know like you're like yeah it's cool you're just going through the motions and whatever but when it's taken away it's like whoa so being back on the stage it's going to have, I think, another level of appreciation. Not that you didn't appreciate in the first place, but it's, got, it's going to have a whole other, I think, meaning. And also being in the company of your fellow castmates and people who work backstage and the musicians and just even listening to them play every night. And it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking and exciting. Are there any particular moments in the, in the show that are going to take on, like specifically, that will take on that extra poignancy for you? I mean, you get to sing When You Believe, for instance. That That's going to have a whole <laughs> new level, isn't it? It will have a whole new level because it will be, we made it through the storm. We made it through the rain. You know, it's a real kind of message. And I feel like it's the story so poignant to the times. We It's like there is a plague happening right now, <laughs> you know, um, but we're going to fight and we're going to get through it. While the pandemic's been going on, we touched on this earlier, you know, George Floyd was killed in Minnesota. Breonna Taylor was killed in Kentucky. Richard Brooks was killed in Atlanta. They are three names on a list that is much longer that has sparked this whole global conversation. How has all of this made you feel? The thing is, this is not the first time that we've been shouting about this this time I think people have had the chance to really see and listen not that they couldn't seen and listen before because it's been happening it's painful that someone dies for us to see what's happening in our world I think we forget that we're all different ethnicities and different races but we are the human race and everyone should be treated the same. There should not be a differentiation because somebody's skin color is different. It has been very emotional for me 
and just very hard because it brings a lot of stuff to the surface. I know that some people um, mentally have thought, oh, this happened in America, not here in England or in the UK. But this is not something that is just happening in America. This is something very alive in the UK. Um, and beyond, and also not just happening to people down the street, you know, with police. It's not just a police and black person's problem. This is a world problem. This is a problem that happens in corporate world. This is a problem that happens in TV. This is a problem that is happening in every corner of, of life, you know? And it's time really, honestly, to address it. And I really feel like this has shifted and there is a change because I think about my mum growing up. I think about my grandparents growing up. And they've been through some times when, you know, people we will read about in history books were alive trying to make change for black people. And they made changes that I can sit next to you on a bus. But there's still so much more to do. Just because I can sit next to you on a bus doesn't mean that I'm still, I am being treated fairly. Do you know what I mean? It's microaggressions. It's being overlooked. It, there's, there's so much stuff that needs unpacking. But the way we unpack that stuff is by having conversations and trying to put things in place that we don't repeat things that have been happening for years and years and years and years. It's hard and emotional and I have to take breaks sometimes because it's emotionally a lot and I get literally a knot in my throat because it's painful but it's also the walk that I've walked my entire life. This is not just a revelation in my adulthood. This is something I have walked it my entire life. I think my first experience of what I can remember was when I was about five or six, where I'd, I mean, really, you know, a five or six year old, come on. No one should have to go through that. And our industry's got a long way to go. It's great that there are shows like Lion King, Hamilton, Prince of Egypt, opening doors, allowing characters to just be characters as opposed to it just always being the same thing over and over, opening up opportunity to different nationalities. This is beyond even it being about black actors. It's also about Asian actors. Just because Miss Saigon comes into town, now they're employed when the show is gone, what? We need to see more representation. It also helps the youth, you know, seeing someone like you on a stage or you on a screen or you on that poster informs you about what a possibility probably could be for you. But if you're never seeing it, it's never a possibility. It's so funny because even in my own life, I never saw being an actress or a singer as a possibility. It was just a hobby. 
And I feel like my career chose me and I feel like I've been put in these in this position and doing the jobs and the work that I have done for a reason. And I've had some hard times along the way where my my ethnicity, being a black woman, has been a problem for some people, me standing in the roles that I have stood in. And it's painful. It's not nice that they picked me because they thought that I was right for the role. It's, why did she get it? And I can't even completely go there. I can't because it, it, it's just too much. It's people thinking if you as a black person gets a seat at the table, then there's less room for us. But that's not the case. There's a seat for everyone at the table. We just need to be more inclusive. We need to be united, not divided. We need more unity. It's painful. I, I cannot tell you how, you're not gonna do this again. It's painful. I cannot tell, like if you've faced any form of discrimination, prejudice or anything like that in your life, that's a minuscule of, imagine just walking in it every day. Simple things of even going to the shop and being followed around the shop because you're black. People making assumptions on you because you're black. Being questioned about the way that you even speak because you're black. Why don't you speak like this? You know, oh, you're well-spoken. Those little things, my, microaggressions, it's a lot. It's an everyday thing. And you have to swallow that, cry behind the scenes, wipe your tears and get back out. It's just extra stuff that you have to fight 10 times harder than the next person. And even then, sometimes you're denied. A lot of the time you're denied. It's painful. It's just brought up a lot of stuff and people shouldn't have to die for us to wake up. There is definite, the scale is not balanced. Before I ask another question, I just want to say thank you for having this conversation with me and for being so open because I I know it's how important it is to to unpack these things now and that it is so long overdue um, mm. and, and I genuinely do just as I have just done I just want to sit and listen it's a lot it's it's I was saying to a friend of ours who did it who we did an interview with me and um, Rachel John just even my niece wearing her hood in a shop I know what that's going to entail take your hood off and the panic that comes with that, that you're always having to think ahead to protect yourself and for no harm to come your way nobody's doing necessarily anything bad <laughs> but you know how it's going to be received it's a lot but discussion is very important reaching out to your friends of different ethnicities is important but also making sure you're giving them a break. You don't really want to be constantly like hounding them because it's important for you to educate yourself and, and, and really open your eyes to what's going on around you and not ignoring it because anyone could put up a post on their social media and say, yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, I'm here supporting. But it's what you do behind the scenes and what you're trying to do to evoke that change so that there is equality in all of the human race, 
the human race, period. Can we talk about how this all relates to to the industry that you're in and to, to the arts and, and to theatre? I was hoping you, you'd talk about either things that you've witnessed or experiences that you've been on the receiving end of directly. I've been on the receiving end of things being playing Alphaba, playing Eponine. People weren't happy about it. And that's just not even necessarily... That wasn't my castmates. But definitely people in the industry had a problem with it. Audience members. I had it. It was... Here's the thing. I went through a lot of racial abuse, especially in those two roles. But I'd do it again. Because what it did do is... I had people write to me and people even tell me at stage door, thank you, because you've shown me that it's a possibility for me to be in this industry. Far too many times there's been people, even when I was growing up, black actors, Asian actors, who walked away from the industry because the jobs weren't there for them. They weren't being able to get through the door. And this wasn't a lack of talent. It just wasn't. We need to start changing that. We need to start seeing the representation on our stage and behind the scenes. So I would say that also in television, behind the scenes also. I want to see it in our band. I want to see it in the producers. I want to see it in the creative team. I want to see it in the backstage crew. And it happens way too many times where there's just one. It's like, oh my goodness, there's, you know, a black person on the creative team and like, at the same time as being like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of that person being on that, being on that um, creative team. It's like, it should just be normal. Like, why should it be oh, an ah oh moment? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It should just be like, we should see the representation in sound, in lighting, in, in, in all of these things and on stage. And it shouldn't take a piece like I said, that requires Asian actors in Miss Saigon or black actors in Tina Turner. It, it just shouldn't take that. There are enough shows where we could afford to see a bit more d diversity. I mean, I, this word, <laughs> but, you know, more diversity on the stage. Mamma Mia, why is it not happening? There's just a lot of, a lot of work that needs to be done, I think, Let's not ignore it. Like the shows like Hairspray, you get it. You, you totally get it. They need black actors for this and the white actors for that. And that's fine. Like, because it's very specific. That's totally fine. But when it's something that's not specific, why not? Why not have somebody Asian playing the role or black playing the role or mixed playing the role? Or why not? Let's start reflecting it. Why can't we see more black writers, Asian writers and what's not being able to, you know, put stuff on stage? Why not? Why can't we see somebody who's, you know, a resident director of, I don't know, a, a show in town who is, you know, another ethnicity? Let's see it. Like, let's make the change. Um, there's no reason why it can't happen. What's your experience, particularly in that time before you got Alphabet and, and Eponine, 
of going up for these kind of roles? I okay. So when I got into like Wicked and um, Limits and all of that kind of stuff, prior to that, I was in Lion King, and what we have to remember is I was at the very start of my career at that point for musical theatre. So when I got into Lion King, I was 17. Do you know what I mean? That's amazing. Um, so it's not like I had, like I'd auditioned for a couple of things, but I'd always auditioned for things that required a black person. I have to give all props and thank you to someone like Pippa Alien, who has been pushing the boundaries for a very long time. It's not just in recent years or something that she's started. No, she's been doing it. She's been one of the ones who's actually been doing it, you know, and it was her who pushed for me to be seen for Alphabet. And I, I was like, why? Which is sad, really, when I think about it now, that I couldn't imagine myself doing it because honestly, in my heart, I was like, I'll never get picked for it. So why you know, you're not going to pick me. And the reason why they're not going to pick me is because I'm black. That's what it comes down to. I was proved wrong in that situation, but it was also Pippa who was pushing the boundaries. You know, I say boundaries, you know. She's one of the ones who's evoking change. Natalie Gallagher, evoking change. It takes people like that in the industry to evoke that change and people wanting to create that change. And it's changed for good. We should be able to, we need to start reflecting our everyday life into everyday situations and into our, our industry. You know, it shouldn't be that the black girl's playing the cleaner all the time or there's a one token Asian or a token black. It's a lot. It, yeah. It's that. If somebody has a talent, whatever it is, and if they are good enough to do it, let's give them a chance and a shot. Don't shut it down because they're a different different ethnicity. It's not just calling in the same people or your friend because like you worked on them, worked with them in on this show and you did like makeup and stuff together. It's about opening up the opportunity also to young and fresh and new talent, giving the opportunity. Uh, trying to just find the, the words. More from Alexia in a moment, but if you're enjoying our conversation, please take a second to leave us a rating and a review and please subscribe for more interviews with the artists you love. Now back to Alexia. Can I ask, when you were auditioning for things like Alphabet and Eponine, were there other non-white people being seen or was it just you at that time? So with Alphabet, long time ago, let me go back. (laughs) (laughs) In the archives. With Alphabet, I didn't see anyone else like me going in for Alphabet. No. So when you when you got the part, can you can you remember where you were and and can you remember how you felt at the time? I was shocked. Couldn't believe it. I was on my way out to I was in Lion King at the time and I was on my way out getting my stuff together to get on the train to go to work. And I got a call from my agent and I said, "You're lying. I don't believe you." That was my reaction. I said, 
are you serious? Are you pulling my leg? And he was like, no, I'm serious. I said, no, you're not. You're not being serious. Honestly, I didn't believe him. Did not believe him for one second. It took a back and forth for ages of me saying, are you serious? Are you for real? <laughs> That's literally how the conversation went. Really? No, but really, really, this isn't like, are they sure? <laughs> shocked. Absolutely shocked. Couldn't believe it. So Couldn't believe it. After you got the offer, when when is the next time that you see the audition people or, or you know, the creative team? And, and how was that meeting for you, knowing that they'd, they'd chosen you? Um, the next time I saw um, the creative team was in rehearsals and it's like cracking on straight into work. So, you know, like you've got the gig. I think I had costume fittings, I think, prior a bit because obviously to get the ball rolling and costume takes a while. But, um, yeah, you just start, you, you crack on straight away. You've got vocal calls and scene work to do. And then it was then in the rehearsals meeting, you know, like the other, the other cast members and they were rehearsing in another room also. So, you know, it was like all go. Um, with actually with Le Mis, that audition process, I didn't. Liam was the only Liam Tamney was the only yeah. other person from what I can recall who was auditioning, but he was obviously auditioning for Angela's. Yeah, he was the only other person while I, what who was there while I was auditioning. It's always far and few between it. It's if I see lots of different ethnicities auditioning for a role that has predominantly been played by a white person, I'd be like, oh, they're doing the work. But that just hasn't happened. I've not I've not seen it. It tends to be one or two. I mean, I don't, I've not seen it. So I, I can't comment on do you know what I mean? If, if yeah. the most of the time when I see somebody, see other like black actors and stuff like that, it tends to be because they're looking for black people. When you found out that you'd got Alphabet, did you did you know at that point that you would be the first principal Alphabet of colour in the world? I don't think I really. It took a while to clock all of that because there is a yay, but then. There was also the reality then that kicks in and what this actually means. And then the battle in the mind of, no, that won't happen. But it did. It took a long time for me to process a lot, I think, because it was it was unreal. Like I hadn't clocked hadn't clocked it straight away. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I am the first one to full time play the role that came later. But sure. yeah, <laughs> we hear so much about how tough a role that is to play. What did you find the most challenging and how did you overcome it? The challenging part, I think, is when you're not well in that gig, um, trying to navigate your show on like a cold or something like that. But honestly and truthfully, you, you do you have a blast and it's a great part. And 
I had an amazing company. I mean, hello, Diane Pilkington, Ollie Thompson, Harriet Thorpe. I was spoilt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. The cast was amazing. Really, really amazing. And, and really lovely people. Really lovely people. I didn't, they didn't make me feel any particular way, you know. I was lucky there. That's where I was protected. That's where I felt safe. I saw you very early on in your first run and have subsequently listened to you quite a lot on ah. YouTube. Um, <gasps> it's very easy to fall down a hole and just keep, you know, yeah, keep just clicking keep on going. to the next one. Um, <laughs> of all the different people on the YouTube and that we get to see in London, you are so incredibly consistent, especially you know in that role that is so hard. How did you do it? Like, How did you just maintain that A-game every single night? It's looking after yourself. I mean, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I'm not saying that that, you know, like if, if you drink, that's you. If you smoke, that's you. I'm not holding anything against you. But, you know, like I don't drink, I don't smoke. I'm not really somebody who likes to go out and party hard. Um, I'm definitely a home girl, like wrap up, movies, popcorn. Like that's me. Um, but also you realize that you have a responsibility. You signed up for something and you want to deliver, but not just that, you want to enjoy the process. And so for me, just having routine helps that process, you know. Um, some people can party hard, go out, whack it out, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just like a home girl. You do have to be cautious and you don't want to really do excessive talking and stuff like that. But I'm a bit precious like that anyway, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, you just, you have to adapt, don't you? You know what is required of you. And there's nothing worse than like when you have to do a show and you're not feeling great or your voice isn't up to, isn't isn't wanting to comply because it's it's tired or, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, why? I just want to enjoy this. This is my moment where I can live. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So... I want to enjoy it every time and be able to connect with everyone on stage and tell a story like it's our responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> I I have to ask you about your final performance because you just let rip. I mean, did you sit down in the weeks running up to your to your last show and go, right, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> this, this is my riff. This is happening here. Or, or was it? Was it genuinely just a... I was like, I'm going to have fun. I knew I was always going to have a bit of fun on my last show because obviously with these shows and stuff like that, across the West End, across Broadway, you know, you have to sing the dots, right? They're, it's not it's not a, a riffing fest. But I was like, I'm just going to have some fun. And don't get me wrong, I think it is right to not just have a riffing fest the entire time. Absolutely. Um, but I was like, I'm just going to have a bit of fun. It's my last show. So this one's for me. You know, and yeah. You're giving the fans what they want. I mean, <laughs> you, you heard the screams, right? <laughs> it was good fun. You know, you got, I think you've got to sometimes, haven't you? Just have a bit of fun with it and just like enjoy it. It's the, it's the last time that you're going to do it. So release, release. <laughs> Can you remember that moment when you'd thrust the broom into the air for the last time, blackout happens and then the noise hits you? It was it was pretty insane. I remember what I do remember is when I when I did something different was because you know you're looking down 
and seeing the cast's face as well as the MD's face going like because they didn't expect it because I I like I was a good girl like <laughs> sure I did you know like obviously like I've always seen the dots as opposed to do anything like out there or crazy so it was I think I was it was more their reaction and I remember running upstairs after the end of act one and hiding under my desk in the dressing room because I was like I'm gonna get into trouble for seeing <laughs> the notes that weren't on the page but no it wasn't like that they were like oh you should have told us we would have done extras <laughs> oh my goodness so no I think it was it was just nice it was a release and it was like you know like I I made it through the journey you know yeah yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Book of Mormon because you stayed with that show for three years. Yes. You must have loved that whole experience then. Yeah, it was it was good fun. Um, the Book of Mormon. I think what was nice for me was being part of an original company, um, and that was the first time I'd been part of an original company. Again, really blessed to be part of that company. I had Gavin Creel and Jared Gertner and Stephen Ashfield and like all the beautiful people who were in it. It like, did feel really special. I mean, even as just was, in the audience. It really was a special company and I was really blessed to be a part of that. So, yeah. One bit of your performance in that show that I that like stayed with me. I can't remember the exact line, but it's when you you come you came right to the front and you're like, you have stolen my dreams. And I remember being like, oh, I felt that. <laughs> It was good. It was good fun. I think what what it was is like, I know it's very kind of controversial, that piece as it is, um, but it's the journey and the arc of um, having faith, having belief. And it it just had a really lovely story. I know that it's like, it's shocking, jaw-dropping in the beginning and they say some really out there stuff, but it's the ending is such is is it has a beautiful payoff, you know, and it becomes more real at that point, you know, like when she's like, "You stole in my dreams." I can't even remember um, the lines at that point. I think it's in the Hasidic got evil white um, reprise. I think that's when it's quite late. Isn't yeah, it? it's quite. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's much later in the piece where it's the realization of everything, and it's almost like a bit, kind of a bit of life, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's disappointments and things we don't know, et cetera, et cetera. But if we have faith, walk in faith, look what can become. You know, you can take some bad situations, et cetera, and spin it on its head. You know, I think it's a story of faith beyond the jokes, beyond the digs. I know that it, it's unsettling for sure. And it's, it's like you can't say that. There's a lot of that in that, in the show, as you know. <laughs> but some of the stuff that was written is some stuff that was in the Book of Mormon. It's not, it's not made up, <laughs> you know. But I think Nabalungi really feels like the heart of that show because it's not a joke to her. And she no, is just so clear. desperate to get out of there. So when you do do that line, I think it just hits home because it's like, oh, she, she, you just see. Yeah, because oh, she I sees just... the hope all of a sudden. And, you know, like, what we're going to do to make things better. And she's lost someone so early in her life. 
being her mother, you know, there's a lot of stuff and layers to her in that respect. And though she's seen as the naive one who's, you know, like, ah, oh, come on, Navalungi. But interestingly enough, it's her little faith trail that kind of brings everyone and almost the community, like, look at what we have. We have each other. We have faith. We're going we're gonna to prevail. You know, like, things are going to get better. Like, I know we talked about the Prince of Egypt a little bit at the start, but I do just want to ask. She's another one who's faith. I mean, I'm in another role was talking about faith. <laughs> but she's so feisty. I love her. <laughs> she never she gives is. up. No, she isn't. She's a, another one who's headstrong in her faith and she never wavers. All the other characters, they waver or their their mindset changes. But she has believed from a really young, a young age that this is her purpose. This is what she has been sent to do. And I'm sure she's had moments of doubt. However, she knows what is meant to be. It's unwavering. And I think that there's something very inspiring about her as a character. And almost helps me now to have unwavering um, faith that things are going to be okay. And we wake up every day with faith. We, well, we go to sleep every night with faith we're going to wake up in the morning. Do you know what I mean? We walk in faith every day and we don't even realise it. But sometimes you need a little bit more crazy faith for certain things where it just looks a bit bleak. And, so, and it doesn't have to necessarily be, I know it's not for everyone, like, religiously, it, but everyone has faith, period. And you don't even, it's, it's involuntary that we have faith we're sometimes knocked when our back is against the wall in life, but it's just stepping in a bit harder and saying, no, I'm going to have faith that things are going to be okay and I will get through this. It might not be the easiest journey, however, I'm going to make it. This is your second Stephen Schwartz show. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> has, it, has it been fun to work with him again? It, well, the thing is, I didn't work with Stephen when I did Wicked. Um, so we have like, um, you know, the resident um, sure. yeah, yeah. music team and stuff like that. And then the American team would come over who, you know, see over everything. So this was the first time fully working with Stephen. And he is too super cool. It's true. Okay. <laughs> He's very cool, very chill and very open. And yeah, it was a really lovely creative space being with him. He let you have it. Like, he's written the music, but he let you have it to interpret it the way that, yeah. How do you feel about going back and singing? I know I know, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just the, given that what we just talked about with Faith, going back and singing when you believe, are you going to be able to get through it with dry eyes? Um. Oh, I must, darling. It's not... I, am I going to be able to... Oh, I must. <laughs> let all that out um, in rehearsal. Right? Yeah, I think I'll be able to get through it with dry eyes, but I think it's it's going to tap into a different thing is about how I'll be able to um, deliver that song better based upon what we've been through these past, you know, these past months. Um, it will definitely have another meaning and you can pull on something really real. Really real. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel like we've tapped into a hell of a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but thank thank you so much for your for your time. It's been of it's course. been so lovely to to hear all of your experience and all your oh, thoughts. That's and all right, sweetheart. It's been so cool to chat oh, to you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, and stay right. safe. Yeah, you too. Oh, oh right, good darling. <laughs> See you soon. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to listen to my conversations with Diane Pilkington, Kerry Ellis, or Stephen Schwartz. You can find them all wherever you're listening to this. I'll be back with another guest very soon. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.